So sometime after I had become a Christian, I went into a a Christian bookstore which had recently opened in my hometown. And as I was just kind of browsing around, I ran into an old friend of mine from high school days, Bobby McNett, uh, also known uh, back in those days as Spooty, and I was somewhat surprised uh, when I saw him and I greeted him and said, hey, what are you doing in here? Uh, for, I have to tell you, when we knew each other back in the day, religion played absolutely no part in our life. Now, Bobby was a drummer, and he told me that he was looking for a particular recording of a drummer that he liked, and that drummer was only on a Christian labels. And I said to him, well, I'm a Christian. And before I could say anything else, Bobby blurted out, so am I. (laughs) It was really quite cool. Uh, Don't you know, it was really neat to run into someone like that and, 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 and to know because that he'd be put his faith in the same word I had because we were such pagans in high school. As we talked, uh, Bobby began to tell me about the church that he was involved in. And the more he talked, the more troubled I became. I, I didn't doubt that he was a Christian, no, but, but, but the things he was telling me somehow didn't sound quite right. He was talking to me about faith, specifically telling me about what his church taught about faith. And, um, and, and that is that you just have to believe, he said. You have to believe. You can't stop believing, ever stop believing. You've got to have faith, he said. And when I asked him what he was getting at, he replied, he says, well, maybe just imagine for a moment that you had prayed for something, and you'd been praying for it for a long time. You'd been praying for it for 25 years. And you've been believing all of that time. And the day before, maybe even the hour before, maybe even the minute or even the second before, God was going to grant your prayer and give you that thing that you asked for. You doubt, just a little doubt. And because of that, God can't give you the thing that you prayed for. Now, I was a young Christian, and I wasn't really sure how to respond. But I, but I said something like this. is Bobby, that... That doesn't sound uh, at all right to me. It doesn't sound like faith to me. When I hear you speaking, I want to ask, where is God in all of that? It seems like it's all about you and what you can do. And I think those words got through to him for, for maybe for a moment. But then I think he kind of retreated in his mind and he held on ever tighter to uh, what he'd been taught And it was suddenly time for him to go. And and I haven't seen him since. And a kind of a great sorrow welled up inside of me as I thought about how awful it would be to live under that kind of tyranny where it all depended on me. Now that church and Bobby aren't the only ones who are confused about just what faith is. In our day, there's an entire movement referred to as the word of faith, which teaches a variant of what my old high school friend believed, that you just have to say it and keep saying it, and the more you say it, the more true it becomes. And if you say it often enough and loud enough, if you believe enough, then it's going to happen. 
They're the name it and claim it crowd. And, and they, they teach that if you ask for something in prayer, anything at all, that God has to give it to you if you have the faith and your faith doesn't waver. Now, I, I know a guy from Delaware, uh, a good guy. He's a sincere man, and he's a pastor of a, of a small church which he started. And he was telling me in his services about all the people who were coming there and being healed at that church. He was telling me about the blind eye that's healed and the lame who were walking and the, and the, and the uh, people with cancer who were being cured. Even birth defects were disappearing. And he kept inviting me to come over and over again. And finally I thought to myself, well, why not? I think I'll go. And so one Wednesday evening I went. And I went when there was a special healer who had traveled in to be there that night to, con- to conduct the healing service. And the service started. My friend Ken played the guitar, and he led the singing. It was a good time. It was pretty much like any other church service I'd been in, but then things changed. It was time for the healer to come out. See, he wasn't there with the rest of us in the worship service. But then he came, he came in from the back, and he walked down that middle aisle, and he kind of weaved back and forth as he was coming down the aisle, and he was touching people as he walked. And then that service began, the healing part of it, and people would come up, and they'd state their infirmity, and he would ask them then if they believed that Jesus could heal them, and they'd say yes. And if they weren't sure, if they said, I don't know, I hope he can, He'd tell them they couldn't be cured unless they believed. And, and so, of course, they wanted to be cured. And they'd say, well, yes, yes, I, I do believe. And then he'd lay hands on them and declare them to be healed. And if he'd ask them then, after that, after he declared them to be healed, and he'd ask, he said, are you healed? And he'd say, yes. And if they said no, he'd say, well, you have no faith, so you can't be healed. And so he'd ask them again, do you believe that you were healed? And, and invariably, they would say they were healed. They say they believed they'd been healed. But there was no difference that you could see. Uh, they were told that the healing had simply just begun and it would continue to progress if they had the faith. As long as they had the faith. And you guess it, if they, if they weren't healed, whose fault was it? It was their fault because they didn't have the faith. I, I knew one other person who was there that night in that healing service uh, and he went forward for healing for his back. And when I saw Donnie uh, sometime later, I asked him, I said, remember that night I was there at that service and you went forward? I said, did, did you, is your back healed? And he stopped and he looked at me and said, no. I'm going to ask you something. Was Donnie, the man I just told you about who said his back was not healed, was he just being honest or did he lack faith? This is an important question, isn't it? I I mean, Jesus makes some awfully wonderful promises about the power of faith, doesn't he? And and you can't read the Bible, especially the New Testament, without seeing that faith and that it does all sorts of things. And you also can't help but notice the warnings about doubt either, can you? I mean, if you're faithful to read your New Testament, you're faithful to read your Bible, you see all of these things. Now, we're going to talk more about the power that is associated with the faith and, and the works of faith and, and how we face the doubts that we might have. We're going to do that on another day. We're going we're to spend, I think, two more Sundays 
uh, talking about those kinds of things. But, but what we're going to do today is we're going to begin in another place. We're going we're to kind of lay some groundwork again so we can talk biblically about it. You see, faith is one of the three family traits, the other two being hope and love, which all believers share. So, so we really ought to learn as much about faith as we can. Now, I will say this much right now. Um, my friend Bobby had it wrong, and so do the name it and claim it crowd. Uh, uh, we have an enemy that would devour us, and the world is full of charlatans, and sometimes people are ensnared and deceived by them. And we've been warned. Jesus and the apostles both told us that it would be so. And then too in the Bible, when Jesus or the apostles, when they healed somebody, there was no mistaking it. Those who were blind saw right then, not later. Those who were lame got up and walked. The deaf heard and the mute spoke and the dead were raised without any show, without any fanfare. Simply and with power, God acted, leaving no room for doubt. No one had to go and check back later to determine if there was enough faith for God to work. It was plain to everybody. So what God does, he, he, he does not do in a corner. When he acts... He acts for all people to see. So well, we're going to begin our discussion uh, uh, on faith uh, this morning. Uh, it's going to carry over to a couple other Sundays. And the first thing that I want us to know, that we should know about it, and, and I'm not sure exactly what to call it or, or how to refer to it, but let me put it this way. Let me say that faith in the life of a Christian is meant to be pervasive. The Bible puts it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for we live by faith, not by sight. See, God intends our faith not just to be there when we trust Christ for salvation. He expects our faith to be prevalent, persistent, omnipotent, uh, ubiquitous, general, widespread, extensive throughout all our lives. We are to live by faith. We're saved by faith, but the Bible means more than that. Uh, Not just that we live eternally by faith, but we are to live day by day by faith. And and when we're not living in faith, (laughs) we're missing the mark. Did you know that? (laughs) Do you understand when we don't live by faith, we're missing the mark? Romans, uh, Paul's letter, uh, he's addressing a specific situation Uh, that we're not going to look at today, but he makes a general statement that applies to that uh, situation. But the statement is general. It applies across the board. And this is what he says in chapter 14. Everything that does not come from faith is sin. If you and I are not living by faith, we're missing the mark. A pretty, pretty blunt way of saying it, isn't it? It's sin. Now, when we were serving in our first real church in Illinois, I had a, a friend uh, who was a pastor from another church. And, and um, one day we were having lunch together, and I asked him, I said, Gary, I said, do you live by faith? In the middle of a mouthful right then, and he kind of stopped chewing. And, 
and he swallowed and he, he looked straight at me and he thought for just a moment and he said, no, I live by sight. His honesty was almost breathtaking. <laughs> I, I didn't really know what to say. I, see, I was looking to him for help <laughs> and he was in the same boat I was in. All I could manage to get out was, well, how do we do it? <laughs> and there we are, the both of us, just sitting there. We knew we should be living by faith, but we thought we weren't. Now, before, before you guys get discouraged and you start thinking, well, if a couple of pastors can't live by faith, how can I? Let me tell you a few things that I've learned since that day. First, we are to live by faith. But that's a process in our lives. It's a process that we begin and, and it continues our life long. It's strengthened over time by some of the things that we do. We'll talk about that on another day. But every single step of faith we take moves us further down the road. And secondly, there are things we are already doing or which we can easily enough, with a little effort on our part, we can start doing, which when we do them, means almost by definition that we are living by faith when we do these things. Things like reading our Bible, praying, our devotions, <laughs> coming to church, specifically Sunday school, that's my plug, okay, uh, Participating in life groups, helping out at the crisis pregnancy center, treating people kindly, serving at Haven Ministries, witnessing to others. All of those things can be acts of faith. They can be the way that we are living out our faith. Now, I know some people do those things. It's legalism, the same way someone might try to get into heaven by keeping God's law, but there's no faith in what they're doing. But we're not talking about people like that. But we're talking about you. You, as you do each of those things, are living by faith as you do them. And it is the process that's going on in your life, and that faith gets strengthened the more you do it. I, I also know this, that even we who put our faith in Jesus Christ don't always feel like we're living in faith. I, I know that. Even when we're doing these things, sometimes our hearts, is your heart like mine? Does it sometimes feel like it's far away? And yet I'd say to you, even when you find yourself in that place, ask yourself this question. Ask yourself if you're doing this thing you're doing, reading your Bible, coming to church going to your life group. If you're doing that, whatever it is, because Jesus told you to do it, and if the answer is yes, then, then don't you know that that too, even, even though our emotional tank is on empty, that is faith. And you add to that the fact that every single time you don't do something because Jesus said not to do it, that every time you do that, every time you don't do what you shouldn't be doing, are times when you are living by faith. See, we need to understand that real faith is persistence in an imperfect person. 
We're going to fail over and over again, but we get back up again. We begin to wander off, yet we come back. We keep trying. We keep walking. We keep doing. And every time, it seems like in my life, every time when I'm about to give up, somehow we find strength to keep going forward. All of that is living by faith. We haven't arrived, but we've begun. And there are things you can do to strengthen your faith. Again, we'll talk about that another time. So if you know Christ, then you're part of the family and you share in the family traits. Faith is in your spiritual DNA because the Holy Spirit's in you. And if you've been here, uh, as we've been talking about these family traits, you'll know that uh, just as hope and love, uh, which we talked about, are family traits, um, and remember, we've said they're not of our own making. They come from God. So maybe we can ask the same question here. We can say uh, about this trait, we can ask, where does faith come from? And like others, we can say it comes from God. Now, there are two passages that I want to look at, and I'm going to try to be brief here. But the first one was important in my own conversion experience when I was told uh, by my friend, uh, George, that I had to have faith to be saved, uh, to have my sins forgiven, I asked him, and it was just almost a reflex response. I said to him, I said, where where does faith come from? And and that's when he turned to this passage, you know. I just love it. He turned to Romans 10, 17, and he read this. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. (laughs) Faith comes to us by hearing God's word. At that moment, when when I heard those words, when I actually read it, because he showed it to me in his Bible, the lights came on. And I began to understand. Faith comes by hearing God's word. There is power in his word. And, and I think of it this way, and it's biblical to think of it this way, that the word is like a seed which can grow up into us, in us, into faith, if we accept the word that's planted in us. That God has come to us in his word. He has confronted our need by his word. And we can either bow our knees or we can turn our back on what he says. And I want you to know this too. God's word always works to strengthen our faith. One of the hardest times in my whole life when I thought that I had missed salvation, that I was nothing more than a Pharisee, when the Jesus in the church that I was in I couldn't get forgiveness from him. He was a different Jesus than I'd met. The worst time in my life, the one place I found peace was in God's word. God's word strengthens your faith. The other passage you look at is a very famous uh, passage also, but it's also a source of some controversy within theological circles. And it's found in Ephesians 2, and it reads this way. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by work, so that no one can boast. So no one works his or way into heaven. That's really clear. Salvation is quite simply a gift, and it comes because of grace and faith. Now, I want to I um, look at each of these phrases and, and, um, and, and, and in just a moment, but I want us to understand uh, something here. When you read that phrase, this is not of yourselves, I want to talk about that. 
and I'm going to get a little technical, but none of this is beyond you. But I want to ask you, warn you ahead of time, ask you to stay with me. So some people say this, that it is faith which does not come from ourselves. That in this passage, faith is the gift of God. And other people say that it is the grace which does not come from ourselves. That in this passage, it's the grace which is the gift of God. And that's the source of of the controversy that I mentioned. And and honestly, either is possible, maybe, (laughs) so many people seem to point to one or the other, but I think it really means something a little different. Uh, Because the Greek... It helps me to understand something. It it, it tells me this. You see, that word grace and that word faith, they're in the feminine gender. We don't have those kinds of things in English. But in Greek, they did. Those words were feminine. But that word for this, you know, uh, this is not from yourself, that's in the neuter. It doesn't point to either one of those words. And I I think what happened here is the Holy Spirit deliberately used the word that would not point directly at either one of those. Instead, he's telling us that this thing, this entire process, the grace and the faith both, are not of your own making or my own making. They are both gifts from God. Now, see, the, the controversy extends further because some people think That when God God gives you grace and faith, you cannot help but believe. You have no choice in the matter once he gives you that grace and faith. And other people like me, so you know, uh, they believe that God offers you the grace and the faith. But you can refuse it like any other gift. Or you can do what he wants you to do, and that is you can accept that gracious gift of salvation from, your hand, from his hand. Now, now, one more last note on this thing in, in this passage. That verb for saved uh, is a passive participle. And that means that people are saved. They don't save themselves. It happened at some point in our past, but the results continue on into the future. Kind of like the house was painted. Well, it was painted. It's still painted, Right? It doesn't stop being painted at any point. And that's what this passage is telling us. And see, none of this comes from ourself. Somehow, God is active in our lives. And I think that word enters our hearts, and we respond or we don't. But I don't manufacture the faith. It really does come from God. We can accept it, we can cooperate with it, we can help it to grow, but we don't manufacture it. And when we have it, as we've already said, God expects us to live by it. Now, at at this point, it might be helpful to ask this question. I mean, what does faith look like? And as a corollary, uh, we want to ask who sees that faith. So Hebrews 11.1 answers that question for us in this way tells us what faith looks like and this is what we read there now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see uh, now i want you to know this is not so much a, a definition but a description it's telling us what faith looks like so if we have faith 
we're confident in the things we hope for. If we have faith, we have a kind of inner assurance uh, about the things we believe, even when we can't see those things yet, even when things look hopeless. So, listen, it's my understanding. I've never, uh, I've been in planes. I've never flown one. I've never sat in a cockpit of one. But it's my understanding that if you are in the cockpit of an aircraft in dense fog so that you can literally see nothing outside, the disorientation that you experience can be so great that you don't even know if you're upside down or right side up. (laughs) Uh, But if your pilot is there has had the proper training, then he or she can fly by instrumentation. They don't need to see. They have to be trained for that because their body is telling them something different the whole time. But they know from their instruments, they, they know how high they are, they know how fast they're going, they know the pitch and the yaw of the aircraft, uh, they know where they are, at least generally speaking, once they see the light, runway lights, maybe even before that, that they can land that plane. And if they've logged any flight hours, oh, there's going to be a confidence about them. Remember that, that movie, Sully? You know, it's just as cool as it could be, right? And this kind of confidence. And you could be sitting next to them in that cockpit, right? You're going to be sweating bullets, but they're going to just be cool and calm. Uh, they may have been nervous wrecked the first time they ever landed that way, but they've learned to trust those instruments. Well, something like that is also true about us and our confidence in God. And do you know that confidence that those pilots have? It's not just in a bad weather. They have it when it's bright and clear and calm out. It just doesn't stand out quite as much. That's what our confidence looks like if we have faith. We do things, say things, think things, respond to things by faith, which looks like, if you think about it, real confidence. And like that pilot who learned to trust his or his, uh, her instrumentation, our confidence is not in ourselves, it's in God. Our, our faith stands out in stark relief in times of con- uh, crisis. But that confidence and that assurance is always there for us. And they're always at least available to us. It depends on whether we're living by faith or not, right? You put your trust in Christ, but you're not always walking in faith, just like I don't always do. I don't think we always feel that way. I don't think we always feel the confidence and the assurance. I think we see it in others clearly enough. I think you look around and you see, I look at Pastor Jim, or I, I look at Brad Martin, or I could point to any number of you, Ginger. I could look to, and, and, and I see that faith, and I see the confidence they have in Jesus Christ. And I know how we can individually be so full of self-doubt. But, but, but we should doubt ourselves because it's, It's not us. Our trust shouldn't be in us. It's in God. But even when we have those nagging kinds of doubt, if we act on our faith anyway, if we live by faith, others see it as our confidence in God. Just like that pilot got their confidence. And the more they fly, the more confidence they have, the more we walk with God. The more we walk with, by faith, the more confidence we will have in God's acting on our part. 
Now, I have to say to you, faith is never arrogant. It's never presumptuous. There's always a humility about it. In fact, faith can only really work uh, when love is part of the equation. Galatians 5 says the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Or 1 Corinthians 13, if I have a faith that can move a mountain but do not have love, I am nothing. So if we think we're standing, we're sure to fall. <laughs> the power is not ours, it's God's. He is in us as our maker, not our lackey. And he intends to make you and I fully his at whatever cost to himself or us. So we keep walking, we keep trusting. One more note about that. The outsider, not just the people who know Christ, but the outsider can see that faith also. There's no doubt when you're living by faith, those on the outside see it. They can dismiss it as foolishness, or they might be moved toward the cross, but what they are seeing is real, however they might interpret it. So God expects us to live by faith, to be, to be pervasive in our life. It doesn't come from us. It comes from God. We don't manufacture it, and our faith is evident to others. And it's that kind of confidence and assurance that even when we're feeling not so confident, if we act on our faith, People see that. It is real. The last thing that we're going to talk about. Are you guys still with me? I know it's a lot of information. Maybe I should have put this in four or five messages. I don't know. But Anyway, the last thing we're going to talk about this morning is another passage which is uh, important to me personally. And God used it in a powerful way in my life as he was drawing me to himself. Uh, it, it's a word caused me to ask my friend, where does faith come from? It begins by telling us that no one can please God unless they have faith. Hebrews eleven six says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And I, I think those words are kind of a gateway passage it seems to me, and to other people I've talked about, that the writer of Hebrews is focusing our attention where it needs to be. He points us to the centrality of faith. It's that first part of uh, that statement that ought to grab our attention. It is impossible, not unlikely, not maybe could happen. It is impossible to please God unless you have faith. You can attend church, you can join that church, you can get baptized, you can sing in the choir. <laughs> or if that doesn't seem to be enough for you, you can become a hermit or enter a monastery, you can go on pilgrimages, you can devote your life for caring to the poor, you can give away all your worldly wealth. You can become a pastor or a priest or a prophet, but if you don't have faith, none of that matters. None of it will please God at all. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is all about relationship. And you see that really in the rest of the passage. If you come to God, you have to believe that he exists. If you don't believe he exists, you're not going to come to him, right? But once you admit that he is, that he is real, it begins to dawn on you that he's a person, and if he's a person, he has a will, and he has a purpose. He has a point of view. 
if I can put it that way. And you begin to understand that the Bible is more than human ideas or thoughts about God. It's God's communication to us. It's his point of view. It's his will. It's his purpose. God is God, and he's not merely some force that maybe you can manipulate to get what you want, and he is certainly not some ogre that you have to appease in order to get on with your life. God is good. As the next phrase makes clear, God rewards those who earnestly, sincerely, honestly seek him. Because he's good. (laughs) Uh, You might say he's better than good. Goodness might imply kind of a static state, but God's not still at all. He acts. He rewards. He recompenses. He returns favor for those uh, who for the first time Come to God and trust him. And every time afterwards, we come to Christ. We come to God. And, 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 and what does that feel like when we do? We, we feel like when we first came to him, doesn't it feel like we have been looking for him And we find out, as we read the word, that he had been looking for us all along. But now, now, as we're coming to him, the light begins to shine. The dawn is approaching. It's not what I do. It's not what you do. It's not what anyone does that matters. It's where our trust is. Do we trust in ourselves? Or do we trust God? Do we believe him, that he exists, that he rewards those who, who seek him? And if we believe that, it must be because God's word says that. We have to believe it, don't we? Then is there anything more important, more to the point, more necessary than faith when it comes to our relationship with God? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And God used those words in my life to bring me a place, to that place where I put my trust in him. But I've got to tell you something, my friends. It's not just for the new believer. You know, for a long time, I always thought about that passage as applied to the new believer because it meant so much to me at that point in my life. But it applies to us. And there are two questions that you can ask of every believer in every stage of life, in every situation they face, do you believe that God exists? That there is a God? Well, let me ask you, do you believe that? When life is hard, do you believe that God is? When life is boring, when it seems to drone on and on, and all the sparkles disappear, do you believe that God exists? When life is good and full and happy, do you remember God? Do you recall that he is? Do you believe that he's good? Do you? Do you believe that he rewards those who earnestly, honestly, sincerely seek him? When life is hard, do you turn to him? Will you turn to him? Will you seek him? <laughs> when you seek him in the desert places, when, uh, when all seems dry and barren, will you? Will you believe that he'll reward you if you do that? 
when you go to him and giving thanks for the good things you enjoy, or you forget where they came from. Because <laughs> he's seeking God as a lifelong pursuit. In the Greek again, <laughs> the verb's a participle in the present tense. That means it's an ongoing, continual seeking that's indicated here. That's what God rewards. It's an act, it's a voice, it's what we do. That's what God rewards. We're to seek God all our lives long, and he promises to reward us. And if we're seeking God, if we are, what can we expect from him? Well, he'll reward us. But one of the best things he gives us, the most important thing he gives us, is himself. You and I, because of the sin in our lives, find that we have to come back to the altar time and time again and lay ourselves on it. But God, because he's faithful, gives himself to us time and time again when we seek him. That's how faithful our God is. One of the ways that we seek him, one more way, is when we gather at the table 